But anyways, this morning on the way here, I was thinking about public speaking and different memories I have of what that's looked like. I remember in college, they told us in my speech class that public speaking was one of the greatest fears when they like ask people across the country, like, what's your biggest fear? Public speaking or just sharing in front of other people. As a lot of people said that was our biggest fear. Bigger than spiders and snakes and heights and all these other things was public speaking. And if you know me, like I'm not too afraid to talk. I talk a lot and um, public speaking still makes me nervous. And so I remember my freshman year of college, I had a speech class and that was like the first time I really had anything that required me to, um, to share publicly. There's a couple small things in high school, but nothing real. And so I had this speech class and it was my first, my first time. I, they had scheduled a day for the class. It was my first time to share my speech. And man, I had worked hard. I had all my little notes and I don't know what I was debating. I was supposed to be defending a point. Uh, who knows what it was, but... Um, so I got up that morning and I was so ready and, I, and you know, they told you that if you wanted to really get the teacher's attention and help you get a better grade, you're supposed to dress nice. And so I put on my Sperry's, which you know, we had then, and I put my Sperry's on and my khakis and my, my one button-up shirt that I brought to college. And I was so excited and put my backpack on. Well, not really excited, more nervous. I was like, I gotta get a good grade, you know, I've gotta do good in college. And I opened up the door of my, my dorm to step outside and it is just a thunderstorm. And I mean, it's just, a downpour in my class, and if you know me as well, like I wait to the last minute to do anything, so I had exactly five minutes to get a six-minute six-minute walk across campus, and so it's just pouring rain. I'm like, I can't wait for this, and I'm like, well, what about an umbrella? And I'm like, oh yeah, I told my mom I didn't want an umbrella because only girls carry umbrellas, and I was like, I don't want one of those. And so, anyways, I ran through the pouring rain, and I'm not talking like a drizzle. I mean, it was coming down. I get to class, and like the type of thing where it's just just water dripping off of me. It looked like I had just jumped in a pool. And uh, so I walked in, the lady was like, or the teacher, she's like, oh, Adam, you're just in time. Come on up. Literally, I'm just like soaking wet, setting my backpack down on my notes, you know, I open them up, and they're like just like soggy. And so I get up to the front, and I ended up making like an A on that, on that, uh, on that speech. So anyways, that's a funny story. It has nothing to do with today except public speaking is, can be nerve-wracking, but no, I'm really excited to be here this morning. Sam, which button do I press on this thing? He didn't show me this either. I figured you figured it out. Yeah, it's on. Oh, okay. Oh, it's already it'll take, on. It'll take a second. Sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Oh, wait. I didn't have a receiver. You go ahead and get started. <laughs> All right, well, I was, the first thing that we're going to pop up was just the image of the table, which if you guys have been here for the last few weeks, uh, last couple months, obviously we've been talking about the table. There it is. And so we've been talking about the four legs of the table, um, obviously with the gospel at the top. And so our first week, we talked about gospel-centered worship, or our first few weeks. And then the next leg, we talked about gospel-centered uh, community. And then we just finished up last week talking about gospel-centered service. And so this last leg is gospel-centered multiplication. And so you may not be able to see it, but this week, we're specifically focusing on seed multiplication. And you're probably like, what do you mean by seed multiplication? But we're going to explain that and make sense. But I have a definition that I want to work with. So this is a definition that we're going to use for this week, but also the next two weeks. It's going to tie all three weeks of gospel-centered multiplication together. So here's our definition. Um, God, who in his generosity gives and shares good gifts to his people, commands multiplication, in which followers of Jesus Christ are made through witnessing, discipleship, church planning, and the global effort to share his gospel with all the world. And so that's a big definition, but we're going to break it down over the next three weeks. So really, uh, this week, I'm going to focus on the part that says, God, who in his generosity gives and shares good gifts to his people, commands multiplication, stop. 
That's where I'm going to focus today. And then multiplication and what it looks like, uh, witnessing, discipleship, church planning, global effort, all of those things that we think of when we think of church multiplication, we think of Christian multiplication, that's going to be covered over the next couple weeks. So this week, our goal is to lay down a foundation and what is our foundation before we respond to the command to multiply. And we'll get into that and um, as we start. So the first thing I want to do is talk about the meat and potatoes, which is a Jerry term, and so I put that in my notes to make him proud. But um, So we'll focus on the meat and potatoes. What does it mean to multiply? What is our foundation? When I talk about building a foundation to talk about gospel-centered multiplication. What does that look like? And you can't go wrong if you start with God, right? You've got to start with God. And so when we think about seed multiplication is what we're talking about, God created multiplication, or God created seed multiplication. And that's the first thing we're going to look like. Multiplication was not humanity's idea. Multiplication was God's idea, and it's always been his idea. And so the first passage we have is uh, Matthew chapter 13, which I wrote in my notes as Mark chapter 4 because it's this, the same parable. But Matthew chapter 13 Verse 31, I believe, is the one that, that's in the notes. Yeah. Matthew chapter 13, verse 31. Here I put Mark 4, 30, 32. It's the same, um, it's the same passage, just that Mark wrote it from his perspective. Matthew put it. But in the one you have, I'll read from. It says, Matthew chapter 13, verse 31. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and they make nests in its branches. So here we see Jesus using a parable to explain the kingdom of God. He says the kingdom of God is like this, and he points to God's creation. He points to God's creation around them to help make his point of what is the kingdom of God like. It's like the tiny seed, a mustard seed, extremely small, and we're going to plant it in the ground, and it's going to multiply. It's going to reproduce. A tree will come from that, and then that tree is going to drop seeds, and it'll just keep exponentially multiplying. And so, or yeah, Jesus in Matthew and here in Mark chapter 4 points to this parable to help make an example of what is the kingdom of God like. And we think about creation. Jesus pointed to creation. But we can think even in Genesis chapter 1, when God creates the plants, it says that the plants were made in a way that they would make their own kind and reproduce with their own seeds. So through seed multiplication, God was, in, in physical creation, we see multiplying with plants. Also animals and people. And without going into anatomy and biology, but we know that God uses seed multiplication for all of his creation to repopulate and to continue to grow and to multiply. And that's just in the physical sense. So in the spiritual sense, we see if you look in Genesis chapter 15, and I'm not going to read it, but you can note it down. Genesis chapter 15, verse 5 and 6. It's a really famous passage when God makes a promise to Abraham. He's called out Abraham, and he's going to make a covenant, a promise with him. And he says, I'm going to multiply through your seed. He makes a promise about his seed that will come, a blessing will come through the seed of Abraham. And so we see here in this first point, this first truth, that God created multiplication. And that's, that's paramount. We can't not start there. That is our foundation. That's our cornerstone, so to speak, is God created this. Physical multiplication, he created, and then the spiritual multiplication. And, and you see Jesus 
in Mark chapter 4 and also Matthew 13 helps make that connection from the physical to the spiritual when he uses that parable talking about the mustard seed. And so God created multiplication. And the next truth number two is Jesus Christ became the perfect seed. And so when I talk about God created multiplication, we're talking about seed multiplication. And now hopefully you understand what I mean by seed multiplication, that throughout all the examples that we talked about in creation and even the spiritual sense, God uses seeds to repopulate things. Seeds are planted, then they grow, and they create more seeds, and then they're all planted, and they grow. And so we all know this. We've all seen this. And it makes me think of a quick story is, is when we were in Kenya, we were working with what was called the Older Kesi um, Missionary, no, wait, what project, what was our ODP? Oh, yeah, Older Kesi Development Project. Sorry, there was like a billion acronyms uh, in the mission field. So um, ODP, the Older Kesi Development Project. And we did things like agricultural ministry. Um, they had done livestock ministry, just different things helped develop in that rural community that we lived in. So there was a, a pretty good-sized garden that was there, and we worked on it and really just used it as an opportunity to build relationships with the people that we were working with. Anyways, long story short, we wanted to plant potatoes, and the guys that worked at the garden that had been there for years were like, have you guys ever planted potatoes? They're like, no. Our big three are spinach, kale, cabbage. And they're like, that's what we focus on. We're like, well, what if we tried, let's just add some new things. And they love potatoes. They're like, well, this part of the country doesn't grow potatoes. We're like, what? And they're like, no, you, you get potatoes from that part of the country. This part of the country grows this. And we're like, well, let's try it. And they're like, okay. Because it was really expensive for them to bring it and buy it. And so we got what's called seed potatoes. And if you guys are planting potatoes, you're tracking with me. But seed potatoes are small. You don't go get one of the mega potatoes and plant in the ground. And I don't know exactly why, but you get the small ones. And there's a certain way they pick the small seed potatoes. You look and see if it's got the little spud starting out of it. And they get, we got a bunch of seed potatoes. And then we went through and we dug our little holes and you plant one, I mean these little guys, and you plant them and put them in the ground and then you bury them. And that's important. So we bury these guys and then we wait. And sure enough, sprouts begin to shoot. And I've never watched potatoes grow. I don't know if you guys have. They actually have this nice, beautiful plant that flowers on top. Anyways, long story short, it was a couple months later and somebody was like, I don't know when they decided, they looked at the plants and their plants started to kind of wither and it's like, all right, time for harvest. And we were so excited, and the word spread throughout the community. And I woke up on harvest morning, and I was like putting my work boots on. I was so excited. And it's like 7.30 in the morning. I'm thinking I'm up pretty early. And there are women lined up from all over the community had heard that it was potato day. And they were already digging them without, like, the guys that work at the garden, they weren't even, like, they were still doing their morning devotion. And the women in the community were already getting potatoes out of the ground. They're like, hey, how much for these? Like, they're trying to get the best selection. And it was my favorite thing. I've never, never planted potatoes before. It was so much fun to dig. And it was like an Easter egg hunt. And when you open up where you planted this one little potato, you would open up. And we're talking, like, a whole, like, basket full of potatoes could come from one little guy. And you could still, if you would watch, you could see the roots and the connections back. And now this little one had withered away, but you could still sometimes find the original little guy and then how sprouts had come out of him and created massive potatoes. I don't understand all the science behind it, but all I know is multiplication came through a little seed. And it's not just potatoes, mustard seed, any type of fruit you can think of, all types of plants. And that's a funny example, but it helps paint the picture of what we're talking about. And Jesus became the perfect seed. And so when we talk about that, you think of, um, I didn't put this in, in the notes, but in Galatians chapter 3, verse 16, Paul clearly makes that connection. So I talked about Genesis chapter 15, right? God makes a covenant with Abraham. 
And so in Paul chapter 3, he clearly makes this connection. And he said, guys, do you remember the covenant that God made with Abraham? He said, Jesus Christ is that seed. And there's, he doesn't make it, it's not confusing. He makes it very clear. He says, Jesus Christ is that seed. And so the seed that God promised to Abraham, he said, I'm going to bless you through your seed. It wasn't about your descendants necessarily, but he was specifically talking about one. He was talking about the one that was to come. He was talking about Jesus. And then Paul later in Galatians helps make that point very clear. He said, Jesus Christ is the seed. So Jesus Christ became the perfect seed. And so next we see that in John chapter 12, verses 23 through 24. John chapter 12, verses 23 through 24. And it says, And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And so Jesus is explaining another parable or using some other um, physical examples around him to make a point. And he's actually referring to himself now. He says, it's my time to be glorified. My time is coming to finish the purpose that I came here for. I'm going to die. And later he makes this very clear. But he uses this parable and he says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. He said, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it does nothing. It remains alone. It has to die. It has to fall to the ground and be buried or sown in order for it to bring about fruit or bring about multiplication through the seed. And Jesus now is referring to himself. So now we're not necessarily just talking about a grain of wheat, but Jesus is saying, it's the time for me to be glorified. He said, and then later he says, I'm going to be lifted up and tells him, I'm going to be crucified. and makes it clear to his disciples. So he's going to be killed. And he says, unless that seed dies and it falls to the ground and is sown in the ground, then it doesn't bring about fruit. So he's saying himself, I have to die. I have to be buried. And I'm going to rise again. He said, for in order for the multiplication, the spiritual multiplication of the church, in order for it to take place, it requires death. And it requires this grain of wheat has to be buried. And so we see Jesus explain that very clearly uh, to his disciples multiple times, not just this one example. And so also another reference that I thought of as we're talking about Jesus now and, and focusing on the gospel, what does that mean? Jesus referring to himself dying and, and being buried. It makes me think about in Isaiah chapter 53. It's a very famous passage where Isaiah, hundreds of years before this is ever going to happen, before Jesus comes, Isaiah prophesies about Jesus. And this particular chapter is a beautiful prophecy of, of what Jesus was coming to do. And he says he's coming for our transgressions, for our sins. He's going to be killed. He's going to be beaten. He's going to be mocked and all these things. But something in Isaiah 53, it's, it says that his appearance was plain. He looked simple. There was nothing about him that looked majestic, that you would just see Jesus physically and say, oh yeah, that's, that's the one, that's the Messiah. In Isaiah 53, he prophesies that no, he, he's going to look just like your regular guy that unless you knew who he was. And so just like that mustard seed, he's going to appear small and insignificant just on the outside. And then Isaiah talks about that. He makes it very plain, but he says, and, he's, and then in Isaiah 53, he also says that this seed, he refers to him as a seed, is going to have to be killed and will be buried. And he talks about that even in Isaiah 53. It's talking about Jesus being killed and being buried as a seed. And then also we think of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And Paul talks about the gospel that I have preached to you. 
He talks about Jesus. He said, the gospel I shared with you, he said, Jesus Christ was killed. He was crucified. Jesus Christ was buried. And then Paul said, Jesus Christ was resurrected. And then in that passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he doesn't just say he was resurrected. He starts giving evidence. He said, first he appeared to the twelve. And then he appeared to 500. And then he appeared to Cephas, who was Peter. And then he says, and then later he appeared to me. So he's saying that Jesus Christ was buried or he was killed, he was buried, and he rose again. And so we see Jesus say in John chapter 12, Jesus says it's going to happen. In Isaiah 53, they, he said it hundreds of years before it was going to happen that the seed was going to have to die, the seed was going to have to be buried. And then after the fact, in 1 Corinthians, Paul attests to the fact that the seed was buried, but the seed rose again. And when we're talking about this creation through, or uh, multiplication through seed, we think about him rising again, it's like sprouting. It's like when you bury a seed, and at the time it looks like it's gone. But yet it sprouts and brings about new life. And so we focus on the gospel. What did Jesus do? Jesus came for a purpose, to redeem his people, to reconnect people to God through a broken relationship through sin. And so he was, he was killed, he was buried, and he rose again. And Isaiah 53 attests to that. Jesus attests that himself in John chapter 12. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul gives us evidence that all three of those stages happened and they are significant. His death, burial, and resurrection is sufficient to bring about exponential multiplication for the church. And in order for us to think about answering the commandment to multiply, we've got to, number one, think about God-created multiplication. It's not ours. God created it. But number two, Jesus became the perfect seed. And unless he's the seed, unless he's the foundation of the multiplication you're thinking of, then there's no hope that it's ever going to grow. He's got to be the seed that is planted in your life, but also planted in others' lives around you. And so then the third point is this is where I get really excited. So it's awesome how God takes care of everything. God creates it. Jesus becomes the seed for it. And then truth number three is God sustains multiplication. It's never our full responsibility to take care of. It's the pressure is off our back. God created multiplication. It wasn't our idea. Jesus became the seed for multiplication. He did all the work that was required in order for the church to multiply at the individual level and then at the global level. And but then number three, not only did he, did he become the seed and start the multiplication for the church, but then God sustains multiplication through his Holy Spirit dwelling within us. And this is where it leads us to the third passage I have in the notes um, in your worship guide is John chapter 14, verses 15 through 20. John chapter 14, verses 15 through 20. I was reading this last night with Mackenzie, and she was like, she said, wow, you could just read that and just leave. She was like, you could just you know, drop the mic, so to speak, or you could just finish on that. This right here says it all. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Jesus said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. So Jesus is referring to him dying and leaving. He said, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, 
and you and me and I and you, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. I know that's a lot of reading, but that is a powerful passage. God, or Jesus, was promising the helper. He refers to him as the helper, the spirit of truth. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. Jesus says, I have to go. This physical body, I've got to go. I'm resurrected. It's time for me to go. But he says, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to sustain what I started. I'm sending the seed, so to speak, is now going to be in each and every one of you. My seed, the Holy Spirit, I'm putting in you. And we see in Acts chapter 2, we talk about this all the time, in Acts chapter 2 is when that promise is fulfilled. Is when the church is gathered together and the Holy Spirit falls on the 120 in the upper room in Acts chapter 2. And then from there, boom, it starts. And the church starts to explode through the sustaining power of the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. And so God created multiplication. Jesus Christ became the seed for multiplication. But then he doesn't just leave us there. But the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within us as believers and as followers of Jesus. It gives us the power and the wisdom and the ability to walk in multiplication. It's not our strength. It's his strength that is sustaining the multiplication that he commands. And also it makes me think about Romans chapter 8. Me and Maddie were talking the other day and talking about the, the, the power that raised Jesus from the dead dwells within us. And Paul says in Romans chapter 8 and verses 9 through 11, he talks about the Holy Spirit dwelling within you and that same power to give you life, to live righteously. And he's like, I'm not going to leave you alone to do this. It's not, I'm not going to give you this commandment and then say, well, in your own strength, figure it out. He said, I've given you a commandment to multiply, to follow me, and then to multiply. He said, but I'm going to sustain you. And it makes me think about John chapter 15. He says, abide in me, and I abide in you. And unless I abide in you, you can do nothing. He talks about being the vine and the branch. Jesus makes it very clear. Unless he dwells within us, Unless the seed dwells within us, then the power and the ability to multiply is not going to be sustainable. We cannot do it on our own strength, and that is very clear. But the good news is, is he didn't leave us to do it on our own strength. He didn't abandon us. He said, it will be with you forever. So Jesus said, the Holy Spirit is going to dwell within each of you to be able to sustain this multiplication that I have commanded. And so truth number one, God created it. Truth number two, Jesus Christ became the seed. Number three, the Holy Spirit sustains that multiplication. And then truth number four, God commands multiplication. If you look at the gospel multiplication definition that we talked about at the beginning, remember I said that's where we're going to stop at is when it says he commands multiplication. And this is where i got to get careful because I don't want to jump too much on what Sam and Jerry are going to be preaching on in the next couple weeks. So I have to be careful and not... Um, it's still too much of their thunder. But truth number four is Jesus commands multipl- multiplication. God commands multiplication. Makes me think of, um, if you want to write it down, but we know this very well, Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 through 20. It's called the Great Commission. And I, that's why I said i got to be careful because I know Jerry and Sam are going to be talking about this more in detail. But this is where Jesus makes it very clear in other passages as well, but he makes it very clear here. He said, go to the othermost parts of the world, Make disciples, baptize, teach. And in the gospel multiplication definition we have, we talked about evangelism, church planting, things like that. That's multiplication in action. And that's the commandment. 
Jesus has commanded his followers to multiply. And so we see also um, another thing I thought about was Luke chapter 9, verses 23 through 24. This is another very well-known passage, but Jesus looks at his disciples. He says, unless you die to yourself and pick up your cross, you can't follow me. You have to die to yourself. And you're like, what does that have to do with multiplication? You've got to get out of the way. Yourself has got to get out of the way. Your pride, your thoughts of, well, I can do it. I can figure it out. And we already talked about God has done all the work. It's his thing. You've got to die to yourself and surrender yourself to his will and his authority in your life and then allow him to use you for this multiplication, whatever that may look like in your specific sense of wherever you're at in life. And so we think about obeying this command through following his example and then multiplying. Following his example through dying to ourselves, Just like Jesus died, we follow that example. I'm not physically saying we have to go die. But spiritually, in a sense, when you become a Christian, the old man, Paul talks about um, the old man dying and the new man coming, or taking off the old in Ephesians chapter 4, taking off the old, putting on the new. And that is required for us to be able to obey any commandment that Jesus has for us. Take off the old and put on the new. The old must die. And then specifically, we're talking about multiplication. It's a commandment that we must obey, and we have to do that through dying to ourselves. And so, um, I honestly don't know how long I've taken. Maybe I'm talking really fast. But those are our four points. Truth number one, God created seed multiplication. We looked at physically throughout the world he created it, but then also spiritually. Truth number two, Jesus Christ became the perfect seed for this spiritual multiplication to even happen as a foundation to start it off. He had to be the one. And he talked about it. I've got to die. I'm going to be buried, but then I'm going to rise again. I'm going to sprout, and then all these little seeds are going to come out, and the Holy Spirit now dwells within us. Truth number three sustains multiplication. And then we get to truth number four. Jesus commands multiplication, or God commands multiplication. So if you want to call this a summary or bringing it all together, God creating seed multiplication, Jesus becoming the seed, and the Holy Spirit sustaining seed multiplication within us enables us to obey his command to live a life of multiplication as a response to the gospel. And I love this because it makes me think of several weeks ago. I don't remember what week it was. I think it was Colossians chapter 3. And if I'm wrong, Sam, you'll have to correct me later. But um, Jerry was talking about the bookends. That was his term. He was calling it bookends. Um, and in the middle of Colossians chapter 3, it's a lot of um, commands that, that Paul is giving through the Holy Spirit. He's giving Christians to follow what it looks like to live a Christian life. But at the beginning, it focuses on the gospel. He said, basically, keep your attention on Jesus. And at the end of that chapter, again, Paul focuses on the gospel. The attention is on Jesus. So in Colossians chapter 3, in order for Christians to be able to even obey and walk what it looks like to live a Christian life physically, there has to be the focus at the beginning and at the end. Paul doubled down. because you've got to focus on the gospel and on the strength that comes from Jesus. And it's the same thing here. For, before we can ever follow and live out the command to multiply, we say it all the time, Matthew chapter 28, go, 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 go therefore and multiply, go baptize, go teach. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I'm saying like, I'm all for that, let's go. But before we go and before we obey this command, and over the next couple of weeks we want to talk about what, that com- like what it looks like for us to go, what it looks like for us to walk out multiplication. But you cannot get to that point. If you bypass these first three points, 
then you're already fall, starting on a faulty foundation. You've got to remember that God created this thing. Multiplication was God's idea, not ours. Jesus became the seed that was necessary for multiplication to happen, not us. You've got to remember that. I've got to remember that. And then the Holy Spirit sustains it. It's through His strength, through His power, through His wisdom in us that allows us to walk in multiplication at the, at the local level and throughout the global effort. So before we can obey the command to multiply, you've got to remember, you've got to stand firm on the foundation of what God has already done through those first three steps. He's taking care of all of it. He's allowing us to work alongside Him. The responsibility is not on us. And I can prove that to you in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9 through 10. I want to turn to it because I've paraphrased a lot. I don't want to paraphrase this one. But Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 10. And Jerry told me not to talk about this one too much because he's really going to get on this one. So Jerry, I'm just going to read it. And then you can really explain it later. And so what I'm doing right now is just giving you a preview of what's coming in the next couple weeks. But it's God's responsibility. And He's going to do it for His glory. Not for our name's sake, but for His name's sake. And I can prove it to you because in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. Guys, Revelation is prophecies or revelations that have come to John on an island. And they're about what's to come later. After the world is ended and when Jesus returns. So they're things that haven't happened yet where we're at now. And in, in verse, or, yeah, verse number 9 in chapter 7. John says, after this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And that's to come. So Jesus started it when he became the seed. And you can look in Revelation chapter 7, guys, it's going to happen. There will be a great multitude that's uncountable, and they will all be in heaven, and they will be worshiping the Lamb. The multiplication will come, and it will happen. We just get invited to be a part of it. So if you're ever discouraged, or you're like, well, what if I'm doing this wrong or doing that wrong or trying to figure things out and putting too much responsibility on yourself to figure out what does multiplication look like on a daily level? Don't forget these foundational truths. You've got to stand on those. And you've got to remember, at the end of the day, God will have a bride. He will have a church. And it's already prophesied it's going to be right here. And so that takes the responsibility off of us and allows us the freedom and the joy to say, yes, Lord, out of a response to your grace and a response to the gospel of your goodness, I want to respond. I want to walk with you in multiplication. I want to walk with you in, in walking in multiplication with the church and what that's going to look like. And we'll talk about that more over the next couple of weeks. And so I just wanted to build a foundation this week to talk about these simple truths. And I know some of them are very found, um, elementary, uh, very just basic, but they're important to remember before we get to the next couple of weeks, we've got to build on this foundation. And so with that said, I want to pray, and then Sam's going to come up, and um, we're going to have some response time, and we're also going to have communion today. So... Uh, with that said, let me pray. God, I thank you for this, uh, this day that you've given us, another opportunity to worship and to be in relationship with you. Let us not take for granted uh, who you are in our lives, that you were the seed, that you, that you um, died, that you were buried, but you rose again. You didn't stay in the ground. And through that, God, we have a relationship with you. You've saved us. You've forgiven us. And we can walk in relationship with you.
And God, I thank you for the opportunity to come together as a body of believers and to worship together. Thank you for community that you've created. And God, I just ask that you would take this word, your word, not my thoughts, not my words, but your word, your truth, your verses. Would you put them in our hearts, put them in our minds, that they would grow, that they would develop, and we would stand firm on those truths as we walk out um, this life. And Jesus, it's in your name I pray. Amen.